Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. McGurk! I love not typing. Not messing with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you <laughs> like it? It's being, becoming a human burrito, a plus or a minus. I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther? It's not just Lena being mean? No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Yes! Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Rebecca Johnson. Uh, wait, what? What did you say? That can't, that can't be right. Cause I'm Rebecca Johnson. No, no, I, I'm Rebecca Johnson. Oh no. Oh no. Did seeing the flash movie change Morgan's life so much that she is now a different person? What I movie? Mean, I mean, we <laughs> did have evidence that this was possible given that how, you know, the movie changed Jaden Smith's life. So I think what we have to do since this has happened, it's, it's very clear that Morgan has changed somehow. So, Okay. All right, so if this is Rebecca Johnson, okay, Rebecca, are are you here right now with me on this live stream to talk about Sasha Kajay's Supergirl in the Flash movie? Oh, I love Sasha Kajay's Supergirl in the CW. What are you talking about? Melissa Benoist played Supergirl on the CW. No, 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 no. Melissa Benoist played Supergirl on the big screen back in 1984. She gave what I would describe as an embodied performance. What? No, that was Helen Slater. Oh, no. You mean Helen Slater who played Supergirl in Smallville? Oh, man. This is a real screwed up time travel spaghetti situation <laughs> we have here. So I wonder maybe what we can do to fix all of this. Maybe we just rewind back to before we saw the Flash movie and see if we can find a point in time where we can fix all of this. So we just got out of the Flash movie. We did. The greatest cinematic achievement of all time. I don't know about you, but I feel different. I don't know about you, but I feel different. Okay, so we've gone into the Chrono Bowl and we've tried to fix time. So let's try this again and see if that worked. All right. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. Oh my gosh, thank goodness we we made it back to the right timeline. What did I miss? I don't know, but it was <laughs> it was very weird. You are not who you were. Your life had changed. Everything was different. And I, I was mean, very worried about it. I mean, things did feel different after we left the theater, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I was like, you know, memories, different different timelines converging, but I figured that was normal, right? Well, I'm glad we've got gotten it straight straightened out. Hopefully, there was no you know crises on uh, Infinite <laughs> Earth that we we started to uh, unravel here. But I think I think we're I mean, back in I the think right we, place like, just now. Butterfly winged a whole uh, universe out of existence. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
looks like everything in the timeline has been corrected. We must have located the inevitable intersection correctly. So for this episode of the podcast, we are live and wired on the Supergirl Radio Facebook page and the DCTV podcast YouTube channel to discuss and review the Flash movie starring Ezra Miller, Michael Keaton, and Sasha Kajay and directed by Andy Muschietti. Uh, so uh, Morgan and I went to go see the Flash movie together if people didn't uh, see some of the things that we uh, put out and we recorded uh, like a short like a, I say short it was like a half hour uh, video which is short it's for supposed us to be short but... <laughs> that's that's short for Supergirl radio uh, but we have already uh, sort of recorded some of our first thoughts that we came out of the theater with uh, so if you want to go check that out we have it in the audio podcast feed as well as the DCTV podcast YouTube channel so you can go check that out so uh, we'll probably try to talk about things a little more in depth and some different things that we didn't talk about then uh, so hopefully we can make it worth your while uh, to uh, check both things out well the first thing um, I want to talk about Morgan uh, because we talked a little bit about her in our, our short kind of first thoughts but uh, let's maybe take a, a deeper dive into Sasha Kajay as Supergirl because this is a the First Supergirl on the big screen we've had since 1984 with Helen Slater. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, Rebecca, who else would it be? <laughs> I, I don't know. Some other crazy person. Uh, I started this podcast. Things are so weird here. <laughs> what weird energy. <laughs> so, uh, so this is the first one since Helen Slater's Supergirl in 1984. So, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, how well you thought she, or I guess maybe her storyline. Let's talk about her storyline first. Um, so what did you think about her story and how she was introduced into uh, this uh, time traveling adventure with Barry Allen? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously I just really wanted a lot more of her. Um, I think that was my my main takeaway from the movie is that like, man, I, I feel like they hyped her up uh, and I understand why they did. Maybe because perhaps they couldn't send other actors out to promote the movie. <laughs> she was doing a lot mayhaps, of the promotion. Mayhaps of the film. that's why it was so Supergirl heavy on the promotion. I'm not going to complain about it, um, except for in the movie, which I will complain about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because there just wasn't really enough of her. I think that like her storyline um, was a little familiar. I think if you watched the Supergirl TV show, it was a uh, essentially Red Daughter. Like there was a twist on Red Daughter, but like it was pretty much Red Daughter. Like she wasn't punching rocks. Um, so like Red Daughter was getting in, like a, yeah, like a no better worse. workout. Really, yeah. if you think about more upper body stuff going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean the the situation was kind of similar. Like what happened if Supergirl had gotten captured early on? Like they, you know, obviously they've done that with the uh, with the superman comics as well so right yeah flashpoint yeah so it wasn't really like i yeah i'm I, I really wish that there was more to it i don't think that we got too much of her interior sort of personality or life as much um you know we got a lot of like how barry felt about things and and we didn't i don't feel like we got as much about how supergirl felt about things she was very um because of her background of being like stuck in this jail essentially for forever um she was very stoic um which makes sense for the for the storyline but for as the like the first time she's on screen i kind of wished we had a little bit more of that that supergirl hope she does mention hope she I must does say. yes there, there, was, there was i that. was like it feels right <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, mind the gap says in the chat, uh, no hope speeches or game nights with this car. She does she does talk about hope, but it's not really a hope speech. And that's the thing that I kind of came away with from the the Supergirl stuff in the Flash movie is that I was disappointed that it, it she didn't really she didn't feel like Supergirl to me. Um, it was very very much leaning on Superman stories like the Superman story in Flashpoint. It was her replacing Henry Cavill's Superman in Man of Steel. Um, other than her introducing herself to the berries by saying, you know, my name is Kara Zor-El. Uh, you know, I was supposed to protect the last son of Krypton and all of that. How was I supposed to know she was Supergirl? Um, it was, it was kind of, if, if I had not known that information, how would I have just based off of her personality and her character, how would I know that that was Supergirl? So I did have some trouble with that because I've read a lot of Supergirl comics, almost all of them, very close to all of them. Um, and I've been, you know, podcasting about Supergirl for a long time with with Morgan. Um, so I'm very <laughs> weird that she said my name like that. Who else would I be? <laughs> so so I, I would like to think that I'm a pretty good uh, judge of like what makes Supergirl Supergirl. And so it was hard for me to come away from Sasha's performance. And I think this is largely due to the writing, the way she was written. I, I think Sasha did as, as much as she could with the writing of the character. But even with the, the mention of hope, it was kind of strange to me because she she basically said something to the effect, and I didn't get a chance to like write down the, the full quote when I took notes my second time around. I was like typing things out of my iPhone and <laughs> go as fast as I could. But she she says something to the effect of like, you know, my people, the Kryptonians are, you know, people of hope. Krypton is a world of hope. And and she talks about Zod and and his crew with Feora and Namek and all those Kryptonians. They're not my people. And I just thought, well, that's that's not a very hopeful thing to say. You know, a hopeful thing to say would be like, maybe I can do something to sort of turn them around or maybe I can show them that this is not the way. Like that would have been more of a Supergirl thing, in my opinion, for her to have done. But for her to just kind of dismiss those people right out of the gate, like even Henry Cavill Superman in Man of Steel, like he tries to reason with Zod. He tries to meet him where he is and tries to reason with him. Um, it's not until the very end that he has to make a really hard choice. So I just some of that was hard for me as a Supergirl fan to really latch on to. Um, and I, I also didn't like that, like her her prison cell where she's being kept was referred to as the scrotum. I thought that was a weird choice in the writing. Yeah. That was not that was not great in my didn't, opinion. Didn't love that. Didn't didn't love didn't that. Love that. Yeah, I I agree. I I do think she was missing a little bit. She I mean she does mention hope, but she was missing a little bit of that Supergirl hopefulness. In fact, like throughout in the you know part of her time on the movie is basically like I don't like humans why should I help them out and she does learn through you know um through working with Barry and and Bruce Wayne or both Barry's I guess the Barry's the Barry's uh, yeah <laughs> the, the Barry's uh that like you know humans are worth you know are worth helping or worth saving but like and you can understand her perspective right if like the only humans she knows 
like threw her into a weird scrotum thing and <laughs> and probably experimented on her. Maybe and did her. a little little experimentation, probably to figure out that they shouldn't keep her in the sun at all. Um, so yeah, I mean her impression of humans was pretty bad, but I don't feel like we got too much in terms of like a character arc of her going like oh you know these people are really worth saving like i would have liked her to have interacted with somebody but maybe a human besides barry or like a superhero like i just think you know for me supergirl especially in the tv show is so tied to like you know helping out like girls like helping out you know like getting a little girl's pet dragon out of a tree or something <laughs> uh and I, I think we see this a lot even in some of the comics is that she like helps out kids a lot and like having her you know maybe help out like a, a normal person would have went a little or seen some like heroics from like normal people would have maybe i don't know I, I feel like there wasn't a lot of real estate in the movie for her storyline unfortunately even though like there weren't that many main characters besides two versions of Barry. <laughs> yeah. And I think you make a really good point about the, the writing and not having a lot of real estate, because I think that's where Sasha Kaje's Supergirl was not that she failed, but she was failed uh, was the writing because she's basically like a little pawn in the timeline. She's not, um, she's, I, I, I didn't think that she was a fully fleshed out character. Cause I think if, if they had done a full arc with her, I think she probably would have started out like, uh, you know, uh, uh, correctly or at least instinctually and understandably not liking humans because of what they've done to her. Um, and then and then going through an arc where maybe she kind of comes around to that. I could see that being a fully fleshed out arc. But because of the choices that were made in the writing, she never gets a chance to do that. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem is, like, as we were in the movie theater watching the movie, I just kept thinking, like, when's she coming? Like, <laughs> it's she does not pop up until pretty deep into the movie. And I think had they brought her in a little bit earlier, maybe there would have been more, like, time in the story to service her as, like, a unique character who also has, like, an arc. As it was, it kind of felt like she was more just sort of a support. Um, sometimes she she felt like a special appearance, uh, kind of like they have at the end, uh, where it's like, oh, whoa, look at that one. Um, <laughs> and, like, she has a little bit of character development, but it was also supposed... But there was also a little bit of, like, it's not Superman, it's Supergirl. Joke's on you. And I was like, yeah. mm, all right. I, I, I feel, it felt like they didn't maybe... They didn't necessarily have a story they really desperately wanted to tell for Supergirl. Um, and I feel like it kind of shows maybe that she was like, you know, she wasn't the the main attraction, which makes sense. It's the Flash movie. But like, I don't feel like her storyline was given the the most the most care. Like uh, as a big Supergirl fan, I went in there really excited to see her on screen. And I thought she had some like really cool moments for sure. And she had some cool action scenes and, um, and I liked Sasha's performance given like the writing and direction, but like, I wish there was, there was more to her character. And I think that there could have been some interesting ways to pull in like Kara's story and Barry's story and like show parallels because you know, Kara lost her whole world, including her whole family. She she could have come away with because uh, well, and I th that's such a good point, Morgan. Because 
uh, there was a big theme in the film of being able to let go and that not every problem has a solution. And uh, we see that lesson being learned by the the, the main Barry Allen uh, and then Michael Keaton's Batman. They have this realization that, and even Ben Affleck's Batman as well, uh, his Bruce Wayne talked about how, you know, we have these scars and, and it's, you know, the scars kind of make you who you are and not to let tragedy define you. And I think those are the lessons they learn, but there's nothing like that with Supergirl, even though she would have scars too. She would have tragedy that she would have to overcome as well. And it's interesting to note, I think that Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne and Batman, I think he had a pretty full arc. So it's not like they couldn't give another character besides the berries an arc because they gave Michael Keaton one. Yeah, yeah, I think that like it was it feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity to not have all of the superheroes because we had Batman, we had the Flash a couple versions and we had Supergirl like to have them all kind of talk about, you know, the things that they have gone through that have made them who they are and like we get that scene between Barry and Bruce which I thought was a really good scene. I really liked it. I thought like it sort of brought home the theme. But like yeah, she's, a, I mean, obviously Supergirl has the same thing. Kara's whole planet was destroyed. Like, she is, you know, besides all of the Kryptonians, she does not like. She's uh, <laughs> she's some of the last of her, you know, her society. And so not having her be able to kind of, you know, talk to, to Barry and Bruce about that, it, it kind of felt like she was off in like a separate side of the movie sometimes. Yeah, uh, Barry made a big to-do about his his mom dying, and it's like, well, Kara lost both her parents and her and her whole, whole planet, world, Barry. Whole planet. <laughs> so I don't know. I think maybe uh, there is uh, maybe a little more tragedy from one of those characters. Not, it's not a competition, Barry, but <laughs> you lose. No, I mean, yeah, I just I. I was a little bit disappointed with what they did with her in the movie because I just, I want it so much more for her. And I feel like they did for better or worse, like the promos, the, the press was really, really hyping her up. Oh, Supergirl's in this movie. Oh, Sasha is like a new Supergirl. And, uh, and then like, she just was sort of in the middle of the movie. Uh, and I was like, I want, I want more. I want to like, you know, get to know her as a character. She was uh the the stoicness I think did kind of she had a, really had her guard up for most of the movie. And I don't think that like I didn't feel like she got to really bond very deeply with Barry even though he was the person who, you know, showed her that humans could be good. Right, who rescued her and uh believed in her and wanted her to be part of their Justice League. It it it, it you could have maybe, I don't know, that might have made the film a little longer to try to establish that kind of connection. Um, but, you know, there could have been a, a moment before, you know, she take one of the things I did like about Sasha Kajay's Supergirl is the moment where she sort of, you know, picks him up and flies him up into the lightning. And right before she she kind of lets him be <laughs> hit by the lightning, she says something like, you know, I, I've i got you, you know, and, and, and that was kind of a nice moment because at least it showed that there was some sort of connection that she had with him, but it was very thin. It was very superficial um, in terms of the actual bond. Maybe they could have had if the writing had taken a different direction, but I think she was mainly just there to show the uh, alternate 
reality that this this new uh, timeline or this playing with time has, you know, has resulted in. And then her her multiple deaths, uh, I counted at least 11 times no. that she was shown <laughs> murdered. I don't think I don't think 11 was the final number, because in some of the shots, you can see multiple dead supergirls in the shot so i didn't even count all those so it could be way higher than 11 but i counted it at least 11 times that they showed supergirl die which by the way her death doesn't make any sense yes thank on you top, okay. on top of that so let's let's talk about we talked we, didn't, we talked about this in person i don't think we actually we, we didn't we didn't this. we didn't we didn't talk about this in the video that we uh, recorded um but we we do have some issues with the way she died. So Morgan, I don't know if you want to talk about it first or if you want me to tackle it. Yeah. I think my, my main question like early on in the movie, like when she gets stabbed to die the first time was like, would that have killed her? It seemed like they were like, Oh, like the first time she gets stabbed, it's like, Oh, lights out. And I was like, <laughs> what? Why? Like this <laughs> She's super. She just got shot like 300 times and she she just punched <laughs> through a bomb. Uh, <laughs> why would like a little flimsy, a little flimsy uh, pipe cleaner take her out like that? Like I could understand when they put on the like the thing that extract the um, extracted the Kryptonian DNA like that. that the codex, yeah. yeah, because they had established that previously that that was going to, you know, that was going to take people out. That was going to take out um, Clark and Man of Steel and it, apparently uh, r.i.p baby kal-el um i'm it so already, mad about it I'm it had so already it. it had already killed baby kal-el but uh so i understood that as being a death but then like every other death was like i don't know i don't buy it i don't buy it she's a kryptonian she's a kryptonian she's super strong and she's so mad i don't buy that like like half of this half of her deaths would have taken so even the the fact that like let's let's just say straight up like it doesn't make any sense technically like she has invulnerability that's one of Supergirl's and Superman's biggest powers is that they are invulnerable. It's a big thing for them. It's a pretty big thing. So the only way that that would have made sense is if Zod had some sort of kryptonite that would have been connected to it. Although kryptonite would have been something that would have infected him too. So you would have to be really careful about that. Um, that could have gone awry for old Zod. <laughs> that could have been a mistake. Um, I just imagine Zod like uh, like talking to himself, going, "You done it again, Zod. You poisoned yourself." <laughs> <laughs> the the reason that Doomsday stabbing Superman and Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice kills him is because there's kryptonite involved. So there is that this this unkillable creature and kryptonite have mixed together in order to stab superman so that he's at least dead for a time he comes back so he's not like permanently killed so that that doesn't connect back to to bbs and the thing that i think is also missed like storytelling wise is that zod's dagger that comes out of his little gauntlet thing is used to kill jarell in man of steel and that's why it comes back in BBS uh, when with Superman's death through Doomsday, because Doomsday is created out of Zod's body, his his corpse. And so there's like a, a storytelling parallel there that Zod kills both Jor-El and Kal-El. And so that's the connection that they have with those blades. So to me, it also doesn't make storytelling sense to have that kill Kara when that's not, I mean... Jorel's her uncle, but 
it's not as strong of a parallel in that sense because that was about fathers and sons and i think that makes to me that makes more sense so like it doesn't make sense technically there's no way she would have actually died and then storytelling wise i think it's also missing the mark because it doesn't tie back into that the only thing i can think of this has been not this is just something me reaching is the only thing i can think of is that she dies because zod uses the thing to extract the codex so if the codex comes out of her that's like the 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 codex in man of steel is basically like the DNA of like the first Kryptonian. So all of the Kryptonian DNA is basically inside the codex, which is in man of steel put into baby Kal-El in the flash movie somehow yeah. is okay. in Kara. Could we, could we just like, could we just talk about that for a second? So in man of steel, Jor-El puts the codex into his son. Yes. Baby Kal-El. He's like, yes. what up, Kal-El? Gonna give you a little present on your on your road to Earth. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Does are we to believe that in this universe, Jor-El was like, Kara, hey, Uncle Jor-El needs you for a second. Come here. Come here. You, you mind if I just shoot you up with something? Don't <laughs> tell your dad. Like, what? <laughs> what? It doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't really make sense. If you think, I feel like if it doesn't make too much sense to me, I guess if we're just supposed to go with the fact that it's an alternate timeline and things have gotten screwy, maybe Zorel is the one who like puts it in to Kara, and like that would make sense because it's her dad doing it. But but why would they have gone looking for baby Kalel? Yeah, if they, mm, yeah. It, it, it's you can kind of go with it, but when you think about it too hard, or like when I think about it too hard, it starts it, it to fall apart down. a little yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah, it starts breaking down where you're like, I mean, okay, I guess it could be in her, but like, why would it? <laughs> it's because it's a storytelling twist. It's the twist. twist. It's the twist of the uh, the alternate timeline and and how uh, Barry has screwed things up. Yeah, I was just like, I was, I was like, oh, okay, I guess. That's fine. I we talked about this um, after we saw the movie, but I, I uh, one of the things I said when I got out was like, "Boy, I'm glad I rewatched Man of Steel because <laughs> uh, if you listened to our Man of Steel episode, I was pretty explicit. Like, I didn't love Man of Steel when I first saw it, and I hadn't seen it for what what's it ten years old now? Oh yeah, it's uh, just yeah. celebrated its tenth anniversary. So I hadn't seen it for ten whole years. So like stuff like the Codex, like I I think had I watched it without having rewatched Man of Steel, I would have just said, okay, it's like a you know as we say on the Legendary Ladies podcast, it's a Rubik's cube that they need to get, and like sure whatever the Codex is, uh, God bless. I hope they find it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't have like the memory of it. Like that's a very specific plot point from a movie that came out 10 years ago. I was just, I was surprised that they ended up hint like hinging so much of the flash movie on man of seal, considering how long ago man of seal came out. I think it was, this is how I read this. This is not something anyone has committed to uh, saying in an article or an interview this is my interpretation of it i think this was a big fu to the snyderverse i think that's how i took it is that they took his film the start of the dceu and intentionally tried to trash it 
so that it no longer existed. There's no other reason why you would say, oh, baby Kal-El died before he got to Earth so that Man of Steel could be a thing. Um, so, uh, so if baby Kal-El dies before he gets to Earth, there's no Man of Steel. There's no Henry Cavill Superman. There's no so, Amy Adams' Lois Lane. There, then there's no Batman v Superman because Man of Steel is part of that. Well, so, and it, then there's no there's no David Ayer Suicide Squad because that mentioned Superman. The, the way I see it is just that 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 what they were establishing was the idea of a multiverse. So like that whole universe exists, but it's it exists like in another universe, just like you know all the the multiple other universes that we've seen. It's just that Barry has now jumped from that universe into a slightly different one. Like things are mostly the same in this universe, but they're kind of different. Michael Keaton's here, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I could def I could see that interpretation. I didn't read it like that. I read it more as as like. Um, I kind of felt like they were maybe more affectionate towards those movies as it was more of like, you know, looking back on them and saying like, oh, remember that movie that you remember really well, <laughs> where it's like, I mean, I don't, but my memory Swiss cheese. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't see it that way. Um, but I could see, I could understand how you could like read it and be like, well, maybe it feels a little bit like they're trying to undo a whole universe. Yeah, we, we can talk about a little bit about the nostalgia factor of this because I think some of that plays into it. The reason why I think it was kind of a big FU is because it was originally constructed to be so. Um, uh, Walter Hamada wanted this film to erase the DCEU and he was going to replace some of those characters with Batgirl and Supergirl and and uh, Michael Keaton's Batman. And so he wanted to wipe that away. And so I think that the intention of that... I for me still stands because of what they did. Um, and I also want to make a note uh, and I want to say this uh, publicly because um, I find it interesting that Zack Snyder gets so much crap for being having his films are so dark. He's never committed infanticide in a film. <laughs> he's, he's never, I mean, the flash movie had so much cuss cussing, so much cussing. And there are also and, a lot of babies in trouble, just in general. A lot of babies uh, in babies trouble. Babies had a hard time in this movie. This was not a movie for babies. <laughs> That's full, for sure. Full on nudity. Now, there is a nude scene of Bruce Wayne in uh, a shower in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. But there's a metaphor for that, for him, like, cleansing himself and all this kind of stuff. It was tasteful. It was tasteful. It was very tasteful. Ben. But, <laughs> but, um, but I just find it pretty interesting that somehow this movie gets away with all of that killing superman as a baby is probably the darkest thing you could do in a dc movie and i just find it i find it a little i don't know alanis moore said if it's ironic but I, I feel like it's a little ironic that people complained about Zack snyder's movies being dark when he's he never killed superman as a baby so i think he should get points for that also, he, he let baby Superman live and have a great life. We don't know, but maybe Supergirl would have lived in that one. Maybe so. <laughs> maybe. maybe so. Uh, yeah, no, I, I also think it was like a little bit of a. So, I mean, obviously, I think we can say that this movie has been cursed for a long time, just like a. Uh, I think somebody like salted the earth so that this movie could not grow. Uh, <laughs> because has it, this movie's been in like off and on production since what, like 2014? something like so like when you talked time. about like the original conception of this movie 
it's just it's been so long since like the original conception of this movie it's passed through so many hands uh so you and you can kind of feel it like the movie feels a little sweaty in parts like it feels a little janky <laughs> like things are coming apart at the seams just a little bit they're like don't look there don't look there please <laughs> uh but to me it's just a little strange like it's just a little strange that you would have your solo flash movie the villains are zod like why why the i mean yes okay ultimately the villain was inside of him all along <laughs> just just like you know the the true meaning of friendship i guess and <laughs> and all that stuff uh you could argue that like you know whatever um dark flash i think is what they're officially calling it although that that dude was savitar i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> it looks just like the savitar in the tv show we can talk about the tv show aspect of this movie in a bit but like why why is like the big uh villain why is it the villain from superman like why is it a superman villain it doesn't it doesn't make sense it's like how often we would watch supergirl and we would get like superman villains and we'd be like but why? She has her own. And yeah. this 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 is kind of a big screen version of this for me where I was like, you know, he's got like a whole gallery of rogues. You could have used like any of them. Yeah. And the uh, the thing that's even worse for that is for the most part, I don't think they showed the true power of those Kryptonians. In Man of Steel, Nemec, the, the giant Kryptonian that they, they talk about in the film, he jumps on a, a an airplane, a military jet opens it up and like smashes the dude's head. Like you can see like the head exploding. Like he's a violent, violent Kryptonian who is a very big force to reckon with. Superman really struggles with him. And in this movie, Michael Keaton's Batman just hops on top of him. And I was like, no, no, that's not how this works. That is not how this works. So I, th I thought that they really didn't, it's, it's, it's funny to me that like this is almost like the multiplicity of DC movies because they took Man of Steel and then they tried to copy it and remake it and it got worse as it as it was being remade. So like you know in multiplicity when uh, Michael Keaton's character continues to get cloned, he gets uh consecutively uh, or progressively dumber as as he gets cloned. <laughs> And uh, I think to me, that's what happened is you took Man of Steel, which was re released in 2013. And a lot of those effects still hold up. It's still a great film. And uh, the the threats that the Kryptonians have, have the, 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 they're, they're formidable. They're formidable foes uh, to Superman. And here in, in the Flash movie, it seemed like anybody could take them down. Batman could jump up on Namek, throw a bomb on him, and he would be fine. Now, Michael <laughs> Keaton's Batman does end I was up about dying. To, say, to be fair, to be fair to, to to old Batman and to my good my new good friend Namek, whose name I didn't know, and I was just calling him Big Old Robot Man. Uh, <laughs> when Batman jumps up and like puts a little explosion, it, he goes like poop, and then he, he like falls over, but then he pops right back up again. Ha that explosion having been functionally useless, so I was like, oh, tough tough run for batman <laughs> yeah i just i just thought it was almost it visually it almost like made a mockery of man of steel and i did not care for that i did not they kind that, of used that could, because, good... that could have been because the effects in this movie were um not great 
which which I hate because DJ uh, Desjardins, I think is how you say his name. Um, mm-hmm. He's actually a really awesome guy. He was at SnyderCon um, and he is fantastic. And he did the effects for Man of Steel and he also did them for the Flash movie. He was like the, the head of the, the visual effects. And I just hate that they... Like the, I think they needed him on this movie because they recreated so many of those Man of Steel moments that mm-hmm. they needed the guy who originally created that to do it. And I just hated that he got roped into this. And now like people are like complaining about the visual effects when that guy actually does really good work. So it's, it's yeah, a real I, shame. Again, I think again, I think this production was cursed. Uh, <laughs> I I can imagine that it probably went through so many different iterations, and then suddenly it was probably getting like like hurried out the door is my impression it was like no like you know we better fix the we better you know finish those visual effects and i was like we're in the middle of a baby effect and they're like that's fine can it look like the one in ally mcbeal that that dude danced right and they're like <laughs> it can but isn't that going to be offsetting to the people like off-putting as it, right in the beginning of the movie to have like a bunch of dancing babies falling through the air they're like now nah, people are gonna love it like <laughs> i just feel like you could see that some of those effects, some of the bits of these, this movie had just been kind of rushed out. And you can, you could feel like where the tape was like on the, like starting to peel up off of the movie. And you're just like, oh boy, people are, people were under deadline on this one. You could tell. There are some really great visual effects sequences in the film. They're not all, uh, big hits, but I think there were a lot of them that I think were really good. The stuff where Barry, goes back to the supermarket and sees his mom and has to sort of, you know, take that tomato uh, uh, paste or whatever it was out of the cart and put it back onto the shelf. That had some really good emotional uh, visual effects there. The stuff with the babies rescuing them from the the collapse. Um, some of that was really cool. And I think some of the stuff with the, you know, the bat wing coming out of you know, the bat cave ceiling and all of that. I think some of that looked really good. Uh, but unfortunately, some of some of the big set piece there at the end um, was was tough. So uh, I just I just hate it for all those people who probably worked really, really hard. They probably did as much as they could with what they had because um, they were asked to do quite a lot. They were asked to build a, a infinite universe a multiverse they were asked to recreate people who have died yeah uh, so we they get into like the random cameos because that was one of the places where i felt like the sea like the effects were the most sweaty like <laughs> uh <laughs> um we get like a bunch of cameos it felt a little bit like crisis but like if crisis couldn't actually get any of those actors or you know um and we get and uh, the the one that I I laughed at and I I actually really enjoyed was the Nicolas Cage Superman. I did think that was hilarious. That one actually I thought was it didn't run really well. I didn't know that I thought it looked good, but I did think it was funny. Uh, and a little, <laughs> the, little the bit spider, of a nod. The spider looked good. I don't know if Nicolas Cage looked as good. But the, the hair looked was pretty weird. good. It, it was a whole. It was a whole vibe. It was a whole mood. I'm not sure if it worked, but it was a funny call out to people who know. Um, and if you don't know, uh, the 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 movie that that's referencing. Which is again is something that is kind of a deep dive, and people who watch it who don't know probably are very confused by it. <laughs> but um, but Nicolas Cage was supposed to be in a Tim Burton Superman movie, where in that movie he was going to fight a giant spider because the producer John Peters really really wanted Superman to fight a giant spider. That was a big 
ask. He really that was that was not even a negotiable part of the movie. <laughs> That's incredible. It, Hasn't I think Kevin Smith has talked a little bit about this this lost lost to time Nick Cage Superman movie and every Every time I hear a story about it, it's like funnier than the story I've heard before. So honestly, a real shame this never got made. Yeah. So if you don't know this story, it's probably on YouTube. Just look up like Kevin oh, yeah. Smith's Superman Lives. Uh, uh, he gives a he he one time gave a, a great speech, like recounting the story of how he got involved because Kevin Smith was the screenwriter for it. And he tells the story of how he was brought in, the all the work that he had to do with the rewrite rewrites, um, his meetings with John Peters. And um it eventually I, I kind of don't want to spoil the ending of that speech. Um, but but yeah, just go watch it because I, I don't want to spoil it for people because the ending is so good. Um, but there's also a great documentary called Whatever Happened to Superman Lives, I think is what it's called. Oh, really? Um, it's, it's a documentary that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the filmmaker uh, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. Um, and he was a he was a, a big fan of uh, these kind of nerdy superhero oh, so movies. It's called The Death of Superman Lives. Yes, what that's happened? what it is. That's, I got it mixed up, but that's the one that I'm talking about. Um, but he goes and interviews uh, Tim Burton. Oh my god, I'm he, gonna watch this. I, I think can't Kevin. Sm- I can't. I think Kevin Smith is in it, and so they talk about what the movie would have been. And I actually, when I watched it, I was like, that kind of would have been cool. Um, so I think the spider was gonna like turn into Brainiac somehow. Like Brainiac was gonna become part of the spider. Oh. It was gonna be like a Brainiac head with the spider body. I don't think that really. I couldn't see that as much in the Flash I movie just, rendition. I just love that they were adamant about the spider. You know what? Sometimes you're like, okay, I can live without this thing. I, sometimes you have to kill your darling. But sometimes your darling is a giant spider and you're never going to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> Some spiders are really cute, like jumping spiders. And so jumping spiders should We would never kill Lucas the jumping spider. Don't That's kill, for sure. Don't kill Lucas because he is adorable. Look up Lucas the spider. Um, yeah, so... So um, uh, let's talk about the cameos and then let's hop into the chat and see what everybody else is um, uh, saying. But um, so the cameos were Nicolas Cage, Superman. Yeah. And then we had George Reeves, Superman. We did. Who we've heard from his ghost on this podcast. We have. That's true. He's yeah. a friend, friend of the pod. <laughs> friend, of the, friend of the pod. If you don't know, uh, look up our Superman celebration episode from 2021, maybe? I think 2021, yeah. Uh, we heard from a, a paranormal uh, scientist uh, or an investigator who uh, communicated with George Reeves' ghost at the Super Museum in Metropolis, Illinois. Check spooky. that out. Spooky. It's, pre- it's pretty spooky. Um, so George Reeves' Superman, uh, who was in a feature film called Superman and the Mole Men. Uh, which the Superman, uh, the Super Museum actually has uh, quite a, a, a little bit of artifacts uh, from that film. Um, but there was a film starring George Reeves in addition to the Adventures of Superman TV show. Uh, then we got Adam West as Batman uh, from Batman 66 or Batman the movie. I'm not sure which. Uh, and then uh, we had Christopher Reeves Superman and Helen Slater's Supergirl. Um, I did read today that there was uh, where there, there were other contenders for people that were going to be in it. Uh, I read something about how they were they really wanted to use Linda Carter's Wonder Woman. Uh, they had talked about, uh, um, I think, Marlon Brando from Superman, the movie. Oh, cool. Uh, so uh, a lot of different characters, um, but uh, very Superman heavy. 
Yeah, uh, very Superman heavy. Again, it's 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 possible to go into this movie and like about halfway through forget it's a Flash movie sometimes. It's like <laughs> it's so Superman heavy. It's Superman mythology. He's fighting a Superman villain. Uh all the cameos it feels like at the end uh for the different universes are like su- various supermen. It's, it's Supergirls in it. It's a strange choice. That's all I'm saying is that it's a strange choice to like have it be so Superman heavy, especially because considering that like there are actually a ton of different the flashes, like different characters who are the Flash, who take on the mantle of the Flash, who have speedster powers, and it felt like maybe that's what they could have focused on instead of like at, at the end of the day, like Superman's like this dude named Clark most like ninety five percent of the time. Instead of like the Flash, where there's like you know Barry Allen, there's Wally West, Wally West. Bucket um, Flash, Bucket <laughs> J- Bucket J- Flash, my Jerry, favorite, Jay Garrick, Jay Garrick, Bucket Head Flash, uh, which he, he did show up briefly, but Jay Garrick was also oh, briefly. Um, yeah, it just uh, and and I will say like the the Helen Slater effects like gave me a real uncanny valley situation that I did not enjoy. See, I didn't think it looked much like her. No, I didn't think so either. It's like, oh, look at that that blonde lady. She kind of looks like Helen Slater. Oh, it's supposed to be. <laughs> I I heard that Helen Slater did like uh, like a I don't know if she did like a motion capture thing for them and they like de-aged her. I'm trying I if anybody uh. has that information in the chat, let me know. Um but uh but I had sort of heard that. I don't know. I saw Helen Slater at she was at the premiere of The Flash. So, um, so she may have done some sort of like mocap thing. I don't know. Um, but it, it still was not to me, it was very hard to recognize her as Supergirl from Supergirl, the movie. Um, but you make a really good, interesting point about how like it was heavy on like the world of DC and very heavy on Superman for those cameos. But what would it have looked like if we did get other flashes? Like if it was just other worlds of other flashes? I mean, it would have actually been really cool. It would have seemed like more like it was like the Flash movie. That's for sure. Uh, It's just it's that's been kind of one of my critiques of some of the DC movies is like, well, you know, the Warner Brothers has no idea what they're doing. Uh, But like some of the movies, it would be like, you know, okay, we're going to put bring this person in this person and this person. And I'm like, oh, we barely met Barry Allen, though. This is his first movie. Do we really need like a bat? Well, we yes, contractually we do need a Batman in each one of these movies. <laughs> I understand that. I'm so sorry, uh, but like yeah, Batman and Supergirl, and we're talking about a bunch of like Superman cameos and Zods there, and it's like, what does that have to do with the Flash, really? Um, which is funny for me to say because it's like, uh, like I like the Flash, but you know, I wouldn't have been as psyched about it without Supergirl. But still, it's I don't know. It just felt a little strange to have. Like the super, you know, mythology be such a major thing in a Flash movie. And like his first Flash movie. And let's be honest, his only Flash movie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there's going to be another one. Uh, Hopefully sometime in the future, uh, you know, maybe we can time travel to a a, a a fixed point in time when there's another Flash movie. Um, But yeah, I think it would have been way cooler if they had shown different versions of the Flash on the different earth so that barry could see them i think that would have been really cool because they they randomly threw jay garrick in there for some reason and it was like well, what's he doing here <laughs> this this doesn't have anything to do with jay? everything else <laughs> what was he doing there um and 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 barry didn't seem to 
Like it would have, I think it would have been more meaningful. I don't want to say like, this is what I would have done. I hate, I hate it when reviewers do that. And so I'm kind of doing it now. So my apologies to everyone. Um, but I think it would have been more meaningful if Barry had gone, gone into this Chronobowl thing, which I think is made up for the movie. I think it's a replacement for the cosmic treadmill. It's kind of a time bubble from the Legion of Superheroes mixed in with the cosmic treadmill mill kind of thing. So I, I don't think the Chronobowl is actually in the comics. I think it's kind of a, uh, a mixture of some of those things, but, uh, I think it would have been more meaningful for Barry Allen's Flash if he got to see that there were other Flashes on these different Earths. I think that would have been really cool for him to see and to understand that. But, um, but I don't know. I, uh, I, I, they just that was not the choice that they made. No, no, it really wasn't. But you know, what can you do? Can't do much about it when it's not your story. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's hop in the chat and just get to a few things um, uh, while people are talking about stuff. Uh, username Hottest Boy says, why isn't Supergirl blonde in this new take? Uh, uh, talking about, um, I don't really get the DC or DCU or MCU, so I'm kind of lost. Um, well, uh, they just decided to go another direction. Supergirl normally is a blonde character. Uh, it was interesting. I read something today about how uh, Andy Muschietti asked Sasha Kaje to cut her hair. Oh. So it wasn't something like Sasha Kaje had already been, like, had short hair. She was asked to cut it, which I find, I found that a little bit perplexing because in the movie, Barry Allen has short black hair. The other Barry has short black hair. And then Sasha Kaje's a supergirl has short black hair and when the three of them are together i know it sounds like a superficial thing but it's like you have three characters that kind of look similar and it it was kind of hard even when i was like looking at the trailers like it was hard to decipher like who was in the who was who in the trailer because so the fact that they intentionally wanted her to have that short black hair I don't know. I, that just seems strange to me. It's like not hmm. every character needs to look the same. I, I wonder, get with the two berries. Yeah, I wonder why why they decided to give her the short haircut. I personally, I I thought the pixie cut was really cute. It was fine. I, I just I just don't understand. Looks like, nice. Why you on have, her. She was rocking it. <laughs> I just don't know why you would want three characters I, who are in scenes together to look similar like that. Usually, usually when they, they make a, an actor and actress do like a specific hairstyle or something specific like that has something to do with like the character has, you know, it, you know, the character is blonde. The character is a redhead. The character is this or that. Whereas like this one is like, wh why did she have to cut her hair? Exactly. Supergirl doesn't usually have short hair, so she, that's she does in a couple iterations. But yeah, again, yeah. they're usually blonde. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Mm. So it, it it was a choice. I don't know. Some people say that they intended her for her to be modeled after after the Laura Lane Kent version of uh. Supergirl. I think that's uh, the character's name. I don't know as much about that version of Supergirl. Yeah, I remember. I don't know if that was of, ever confirmed. I remember there being a lot of speculation that that's the version of Supergirl she was going to be. And then it turns out she's she's Cars or L. So that doesn't really hold up. Again, I did I did like the pixie cut, though. I was like, oh, this is cute. Not it, many people can pull that off. <laughs> it, was, it was fine. But if it was me casting it, I would be like, they kind of all look the same i don't know um so that's just me um 
Let's see. Uh, let's see. Let's get to April's comment. Um, for a movie that's been teased since 2014, I was disappointed. I was very sad that they didn't tie in the CW Flash somehow with or without Grant. Um, so I guess since we were talking about the cameos, uh, that was something that didn't get teased, even though the Airverse Crisis on Infinite Earths event did have Grant Gustin and Ezra Miller sharing the same space. So I think yeah. they could have incorporated him in that same way. Maybe that would have been a good post-credit sequence. It would. I mean, I I don't want this to sound mean, but like they stole so much else from the Arrowverse versions of these like characters. Like you know, the Supergirl was a lot similar to like the like we mentioned, like the Red Daughter, which they already did on Supergirl. Um, the the whole storyline with um with Barry and Barry. And then, it, like, the, you know, big metal guy who turned out to just be Barry. Uh, <laughs> Savitar. Uh, triple, triple berries. That was Savitar. That was, like, a whole season of Arrow. Like, I mean, of The, the Flash. Flash. Yeah. So, yeah, it did feel like it felt, you know, if you've watched some of these CW shows, some of the beats felt a little bit repetitive. So, like, the fact that they were like, no, 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 we're only going to highlight the movies. We're not going to highlight those TV shows off on the CW. It's like, all right, I mean, we're doing a lot of judgment, but we saw those babies in the beginning of the movie okay okay yeah. <laughs> sure the wigs were bad on the cw and sometimes people just turned into lizards for no apparent reason <laughs> but <laughs> still still don't know what still um well april what i would say is probably what i interpreted from that sequence with like for example the crisis on infinite earth bit in the flash movie is that it seemed to be uh like they were honoring all the movie versions so grant gustin's flash wouldn't have technically if that was their intention although if they were talking about linda carter's wonder woman that that wouldn't have been the excuse but as it was presented it seemed like they were going for the more cinematic versions of the character which is why it bothered me even more that henry cavill's superman was not included in that bit so it was almost to me it was saying all of these other versions are valid except for that one that you like rebecca and so I and so I didn't care for that. So I, I wish they had, they had at least included Henry Cavill's if they if they were going to like say that all of the versions of those characters exist somewhere in the multiverse, it would have been nice to have those included. I wanted to bring up uh, Mark's comment from the chat because he makes a good point. He says that scene with Ezra um uh, Ezra Miller at, in this the crisis, um, the Arrowverse crisis, Arrowverse crisis was apparently at the request of the WB Pictures executives. So he had uh, so so Grant Gustin, you know, ended up having Ezra Miller on on that crisis. But like, we can't get Grant Gustin and just to show up. Like, we can have a fictional Nicolas Cage fighting a giant spider but we can't get like the actual tv show that went off like three weeks ago that ran for nine seasons for nine a long seasons. time yeah <laughs> and that would have made sense he could have just been one of those berries on the multiverse yeah that, that would have been really cool so the yeah. whole point of this movie was to establish a multiverse which means that like basically you know pick your poison every you know every version of the character is valid and that could be your version and that is the version in that universe right like we're pretty familiar with the concept of multiverse there was a very successful movie that came out recently sort of all about it into this uh, across the spider-verse that did very well and people liked quite a bit and was all about like a hundred different spider-man versions and so like <laughs> 
people can follow the concept of a multiverse like nobody's gonna be like wait it looks like the flash but that's the tv show version like they're not gonna you've spent a whole movie <laughs> establishing this concept you can throw in like some of the actors from the cw show and i'm pretty sure they would not have turned down a cameo i could be wrong but and it would have been a big hit because the crisis on infinite earths in the Arrowverse, like that moment with ezra miller Everyone was talking about that after it aired. Like that was the biggest thing. I, if that's how I remember it was like, after that happened, like everyone was talking about that mm -hmm. was like the big thing. Nobody was talking about Oliver Queen dying anymore. Nobody cared. <laughs> everybody really liked that scene where Ezra Miller's flash met Grant Gustin's flash. So that would have been, I think a, a pretty big hit. Um, I, I want to get to uh, Lingenberry's comment saying Sasha discussed in some interviews that there were additional fight scenes with Zod that got cut before they uh, because they were too, too R rated. Um, the only thing I can think about that is maybe there was a lot of blood splatter. Probably. Usually, usually when things get cut like that, uh, because uh, the blood the blood makes it R rated. I did notice that in the scene after they break her out of the scrotum prison that um that when she supergirl basically kills a whole bunch of people like oh yeah i don't think those guys who are like they did not make it fallen in the air i don't no, no. I, I don't think they're surviving that um, no 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 um <laughs> they definitely died um but rip those guys except <laughs> not really <laughs> yeah um uh but we don't know that they didn't die because we didn't see their dead bodies on the pavement no, so or, maybe or they, in the snow maybe maybe, maybe they, they made, made it. it maybe they fell on like a giant pillow Maybe, maybe they, they fell fine. in a big, like, uh, like a snowman or something. And they just kind of hit a, a big pile it's like of a snow. frozen situation. Olaf saves them. <laughs> yeah. But I noticed in that scene where she's fighting all those guys, there was no blood. It was just like her. I did notice people. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a, it was a fairly, there was a lot of action. There was a lot of like punching and fighting and stabbing, but it was very bloodless. Like nobody, nobody bled their own blood. Yeah. So Emerson asked, how can a fight scene be R rated? It's mostly because of the it's, blood. It's going to be because of the blood. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, um, let's see. Oh, Lingenberry also asks, uh, the film was so long. What happened to the tight 90? We're never going to get a tight, a tight 90. The tight 90 is gone, man. I, I ask this all the time. I am a, I am a lover of the, of the tight 90 minute movie. They just, <laughs> they literally like just don't make those anymore. It's, I get so excited when I see a movie is like 90 minute. You know where they're sometimes still making the tight 90, weirdly enough, is like horror movies. Oh, I've yeah. watched a couple of really fun horror movies that have been like 90 minutes. And I've been like, why did I like this so much? Why did it feel so short? Oh, it's not two and a half hours. Yeah. That's why. That's why. <laughs> well, sometimes superhero movies like the Justice League version of Justice League that was directed and re mo mostly rewritten by Joss Whedon, uh, it had a two-hour uh, time constraint. So the Warner Brothers executive said, this has to be two hours. And uh, it suffered for it because it didn't get a chance to tell the story in a, in a strong way. So, uh, so that can be a good thing, a 90 minute movie, or it can be bad because then maybe you don't get to flesh out the, the story. So, uh, but yeah, this, this movie was not, uh, 90 minutes. Uh, let's see. Mark also, uh, tries to help us connect the dots about the codex with Supergirl saying that I think Zod didn't know which of the two had the codex. Uh, so that could explain it. I think, 
um, based on, um, oh no, did I take that out? And now I can't, uh, I'll just have to go to another comment. I lost, <laughs> I lost Mark's comment in, the, oh, no. <laughs> in, uh, in StreamYard. Uh, but I think that can be plausible. Maybe he just knew that the house of L, uh, had the codex somehow. And he was, he started with Kal-El first. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Lingenberry also says CGI faces definitely fell in some uncanny Valley with the, uh, with the uh cameos yeah, it, it was did. it was pretty rough i i couldn't understand fully why they needed to it looked like they were recreating some of those things like uh christopher reeve and helen slater when they could have just maybe just used archival footage i i didn't really understand yeah that. yeah um uh and also mark in the chat says george reeves never made a movie that's not true he was in superman and the mole men which is a feature length <laughs> uh film so that, How and, could you forget that one? The and, Molman? And also, George Reeves, go look at his IMDb uh, uh, page. He was a very accomplished film actor. He maybe, I think, only did one Superman film, but he was in a lot of things. In, he was in a ton of classic films. Um, so definitely go check out his IMDb. Um, never made a movie? Incorrect. He made a lot of movies. Only one of them was a Superman movie, so... <laughs> I just want to give George Reeves some credit for working really hard in the uh, age, in the golden age of film. And then um, uh, I starred one here from Lingenberry who says, random note, Iris West's performance was so good. I wanted to, I wanted to bring this up because otherwise I think it would be very, um, it would be very easy to forget about Iris. Yeah. Um, but the, I really liked the actress. I thought she had a really good energy. I liked the character, like how they were writing her. Um, she had like maybe two scenes in the whole movie. Um, man, I would have imagined that there would be more Iris West in a flash movie. Um, and like maybe not as much general Zod, but that's just me. <laughs> what do I, what do I know? I just watched like a couple seasons of the flash where she was, you know, kind of a big deal and she's sort of various love interest and sort of his true love, but whatever. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess at least she got to do her like comic book accurate job. She got to be a reporter um, and she had like a cute outfit. I don't, I don't know. I feel like she got done dirty. She should have had, if uh, I was mad on behalf of Supergirl, I was mad on behalf of Iris West. They deserved better. I think that that is a, uh, a good thing to note because she could have been more involved in maybe some of Barry's story. Maybe she could have helped him uh, with what he was going through. She, there's a scene where like she talks to Barry and while he's talking to her, he figures out what he wants to do about how to fix things with his father in prison and the court date and all of that. And so she does help him with that. I just, I think they could have done so much more with her. I agree. I think Iris West was, was not utilized to the effect. They referenced her a lot. They called her like the cute girl in his econ class and talked about her as his future wife and all that kind of stuff. But like, she didn't, she didn't uh, have much to do in the main plot of the no, film. No, not really. I, I wish there was more Iris because, again, I think, it, and that comes down to, again, I think wishing this was more of a Flash movie. You know, a movie called The Flash was more of a Flash <laughs> movie. But, I mean, this is not unique to DC, uh, DCEU or DCU or whatever they're calling it now. Movies because um, Birds of Prey was just a Harley Quinn movie, essentially. Yeah. I liked it. I thought it was a really good time. I had a great time at that movie. But 
I mean, calling it birds of prey was generous. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like calling this a Flash movie, yeah, I mean, yeah, he was the main character. But, like, it didn't include Flash villains, Iris West. Iris West is a blink and you miss it. Like, I just try to imagine, like, watching a Superman movie in which, like, Lois Lane shows up for, like, one scene is like, go on <laughs> then, then go watch superman 3 because that's what happens in superman I, 3 she's blinking you miss it really that one. yeah i haven't seen i haven't seen yeah. superman 3 oh like well we a will million years. we will have to do an episode on superman 3 then um because <laughs> she she basically like com- comes in and uh she says something about how she's going to france or like taking a french class or something i can't no. remember what it is and then she leaves i think this was in the midst of like margot kidder's like trying times i guess if mm-hmm. i can say that yeah um and so lana lang is the main love interest of that movie uh played by annette o'toole from Smallville. oh yeah so, yeah i always so, forget that she is lana lang in in one of the movies so lois is kind of blanket and you miss it in um uh superman 3 but that i that i think that was a special circumstance based on margot kidder's um kind of mental health issues at the time uh, but yeah, but to your point, like Iris West is a very important character in Flash mythology. And I think she she maybe did deserve uh, a little better than what was presented. I think she got more more of an impactful scene in Zack Snyder's Justice League when uh, Barry meets her or not, maybe not be- meets her for the first time. I think they sort of retconned that a little bit in the Flash movie saying like he knew her in college. Doesn't but, he like, he saves her, right? Yeah, he he sees her. Uh, she has a car accident. She gets into a car accident and he saves her um, by sort of uh, gently kind of taking her out of the sky and sort of putting her down. And it's a really beautiful scene. And so I think, if, if there had been something maybe like that for Iris, I, I, not not necessarily exactly like that, but something like weighty like that, I think would have been really cool. Um, anyway, so I guess, uh, is there anything else that we didn't talk about uh, regarding those things uh, that uh, you wanted to discuss? I, I guess for me, I kind of, um, I wondered, Morgan, what your, uh, what what you thought the best scene was in the film and maybe what scene you thought maybe could use a little more work. Uh, yeah, no. So the best scene for me was hands down that scene towards the end of the movie, spoiler alert, um, where he's fully acknowledged that like he cannot change the timeline. Like this is sort of an inflection point, his mother dying. And if he doesn't, like put things back to right like everything is falling apart so he has to make the difficult decision to essentially like change things back so that his mother is going to die and he bumps into her at the supermarket and kind of can't help talking to her because he knows it's going to be the last time he talks to her and they have like a lovely scene together where she talks about you know um he talks about his mother and she talks about how you know like mothers love their sons and things like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And she touches his face and he freezes time to go take the can, the can out of the, um, the grocery cart and then goes back to where she's touching his face. I thought that was actually really affecting. Like if the rest of the movie had kept that kind of like heart to it and that kind of like soul to it, I think it would have gotten a different reception because there were little bits and pieces. There were moments like that within the movie where it was like, oh, wow, that's really good. Or wow, that that really hits me. Um, but nothing hit me 
in this whole movie except like as much as that scene did where i was like wow that like that is like getting kicked in the heart that is very very sad yeah that was very uh uh, important for the character of Barry Allen to make that choice and, and to have that face to face with his mom. Cause the whole movie is hinged on the fact that he wants to go back in time and save her from dying and also get his father out of jail for uh, being um, on trial for her murder. And so that's a big deal for him to have to let that go and uh, have to make that choice. And uh, that's something that the Flash has had to deal with since uh, the new 52 and Flashpoint. That's kind of been his new origin story. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that was, that was probably the best scene in the film, but I guess if I had to, uh, to go a different way, if I had to give a different one or uh, something else that I wanted to, to talk about uh, just to be a little different. Um, I thought the, uh, introductory uh the introductory scene for michael keaton's bruce wayne with with the berries i thought was handled really well i thought yeah. he was he was kind of a joke where he like he wore his grew his hair out long and he was wearing flip-flops and uh he was kind of a slob because alfred wasn't there and i think he was supposed to be playing on like the dude he was supposed to like be looking like uh the, <laughs> the big lebowski yeah. um so some of that i didn't care for but i thought the way that they handled that was really well done because uh when i think of bruce wayne uh and somebody coming into his house you know i i would like to think that he would have a real problem with that and he would <laughs> he would do something to stop them and I thought it was a uh, really well done to, you know, the action I thought was, was great. The way that the, uh, the sort of the younger Barry, uh, was able to use his abilities to fight off, uh, Bruce Wayne's attacks. And it, it was cool to see like Bruce Wayne, even though he's an older gentleman, he is able to still kind of be Batman in that instance. So I thought that that actually was done really well. And I, I think that the scene, we talked about the baby scene quite a bit, but I <laughs> yeah. think visually that was, it was I think direct directorial wise, I think it was thought out really well. I think it um, it it made sense where he was going and what he was doing and everything sort of fell into place. And so I thought that 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 was one of those scenes where I thought, wow, they really thought this through. They've really kind of sat down and hammered this out because it was pretty complicated. Um, so I was really impressed by that that scene. So I, I think those two like action bits were uh, really well um, directed and executed. Uh, but I think emotionally that scene with his mom was probably the best one. Yeah, I liked I liked all those scenes too. I I was ragging on the the baby CGI, um, but I did I I did think it was interesting how he explains like, oh yeah, I can't just like pull a thing from here to here or else it's going to get wonky. So like, you know, you would see them, him like slowly touching different things and moving them slightly over to the side and slightly over to that side. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, in terms of something being kind of funny, like at the end credits, uh, which was just the dog slowly falling and seeing all of the chaos as he fell, like getting a baby and then like, Oh, there's a burrito and he almost gets it. And then the flash takes it. I thought that was funny. I, I thought that was like a fun call back to the beginning of the movie. But I, I, to your point, I think it did show that they were thinking of like the mechanics of like what being the flash would be like. And I liked that because it was, it felt a little bit different that they were like getting into like, well, he can't just like grab this thing and move it over because that's going to like be really screwy with like that person's internal organs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think they did play that up some where uh, the, 
the the main Barry loses his powers and uh, when he's moved just slightly by the younger Barry, when he has the powers, uh, he ends up vomiting because it's it's too much for him to handle. So, it, <laughs> yeah, it did show the consequences of what it would be like to be saved by the Flash if he was not as careful as he uh, should <laughs> he usually be. Is, yeah, um, the uh, the scene that I, I thought uh, could have used uh, the most work, the sequence was. I think we talked about it a lot was the desert sequence. Um, there were things in it that I thought were great in terms of like the berries working together. I thought all of that was good um, because it showed that they were starting to kind of click with each other and starting to kind of really understand how being the flash worked. Um, but there were moments in it that I was so confused by, like they, they made a, a big effort to say like back to the future was different in these two universes yeah. with Eric Stoltz and Marty McFly, which is why we sort of played up the, the stuff at the beginning of this episode of Supergirl radio. Um, but, uh, but then the, the younger Barry mentions the emperor from star Wars wanting to like Palpatine, like uh, uh, one of the guys with his energy. And I was like, so is star Wars still the same in, in this version of the universe? Like, and to me, that was weird that like they would mention that like Top Gun and Footloose and Back to the Future were different, but then like didn't even mention if Star Wars was the same. Um, <laughs> and then there was a, a moment where one of the berries says something about um, they dropped a line from, uh, I think, Barbie Girl, the song Barbie Girl, where it's like, come on, Barbie, let's go party. And I was like, why is that there? Why would he yeah, say that? that why would he really say that? Weird. That was very strange, I thought. Other than the fact that I think it's Warner Brothers who has the Barbie movie coming out. Like, I don't need to get more hyped about Barbie. I'm already hyped enough. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you you got me sold on the Barbie movie with Margot Robbie. You don't have to uh, to sell me anymore. But I, I didn't understand why. Even the second time I watched it, I was like, I don't understand why he says that. Maybe there's like a cut line where like they're singing the song or something. I don't know. But Some of those things I felt weird. Like, like you could see that like something got cut that would make that make sense but they just left it the other thing in and you're like hmm okay yeah so i thought some of that could have been better because like supergirl dying didn't make sense the the stuff with the the weird dialogue didn't make any sense i think that could have they could have done slight tweaks to it that i think would have made it better yeah, um, my my least favorite was definitely like the Supergirl endlessly, endlessly dying on a loop. Uh, <laughs> cannot say how uh, disappointing it was to go into that movie as a Supergirl fan, having gotten Supergirl super hyped up for us uh, with all the promotional stuff. And then uh, just have her get like nerfed over and over again, <laughs> just 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 straight up murked like a million times uh i also did not love the scene early on in the movie where like wonder woman's lasso of truth ends up on uh barry and he oh, just and, like and, and, out Bat she, and batman and batman and barry just blurts out that he's a virgin it just seemed like it was it was just too much it was just too much it's like calm down guys calm down it, it had no uh reason for that to be there it there was no reason that that came back into play later there was it just absolutely did not need to be there and that actually was a joke that that was a recycled joke from Joss Whedon's version of Justice League where uh Aquaman has the lasso of truth wrapped around him and he says a bunch of dumb stuff 
And uh, so it was just a recycled joke on top of that. I did, I did like the uh, Wonder Woman Batman initial interaction because it looked like Diana was sort of flirting with him a little bit. Yeah, which, me which, too. Which I, I liked. Like, oh, I, I, I like, I like the idea that maybe something has kindled between the two of them. Um, because in Zack Snyder's Justice League, there's a little hint of a little romance with them. So I don't know if that's a connection, but I just kind of. I enjoy that with those two characters. I think but, they have good chemistry. So whenever they have to like play flirty against each other, I think it's pretty fun. Yeah. So I liked, I liked that. I, I forgot actually what my least favorite part of this whole movie was. And it was the post credit scene. And it made me mad. <laughs> the, the post credit scene with Aquaman made no sense. It left me coming out of the movie, just confused. Uh, and I was like, of, of all the characters they're keeping for this new one, it's Aquaman. So, Obviously, Jason Momoa has a, another Aquaman movie that's coming out. Mm -hmm. And I think the point of the scene, which is a very thin that, reason. It, was it that Aquaman needs help? Like that <laughs> Aquaman needs, a, that the, the Justice League needs to stage an intervention with Aquaman? <laughs> There's that. But I think it was also, the impression I got was that this Arthur Curry didn't know what, had happened and so barry was trying to fill him in on the multiverse and trying to i don't know if he was trying to like explain to him about aquaman things <laughs> or like trying to like convince him he was aquaman i'm not entirely sure I'd, that's I was, kind of the impression i, I got lost. i i i just didn't care for it i was like i don't it 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 was clearly supposed to be a joke, like a joke that they were leaving you off on. But I don't think it worked as a joke as it was not funny. It was just weird. It was just weird and awkward. And I remember like the movie ended and I was like, ah, like the dog thing at the end of the movie was funny. The Aquaman thing wasn't. And it was like such a strange place to leave like a post credit scene. If that's your post credit scene. You don't need to have one. It's okay. Like you're yeah. not contractually obligated to have a post-credit scene. If you have nothing to say at the end of the credits, you can say nothing. That's fine. You're you're making people wait this whole time. <laughs> and then that's what you give them. It it was very underwhelming. I will say that. I I personally don't love post-credit sequences. I think your final shot should be a final shot in a film. That's just how our role i prefer films that have an ending um and this one the final shot in the shot in the flash movie which the final shot should be the shot that you leave your audience with like the final shot of a movie should be the most like the like the most impactful shot that you that you you make you create because it's going to be what the audience leaves with the final shot in the flash movie is barry's tooth falling out that's right. That's and I, I was like, really? That. That's how that's how you're gonna go out on this? Like you're gonna go out. The Flash movie is built around this big tragic event of Barry's mother's death and him almost ending the multiverse. And they end the movie on his tooth falling out. I I just I couldn't get over that. Yeah, some of the humor I didn't I didn't mind, and some of it I thought was was good and like lightened up the movie and some of it was just it felt a little sweaty if i'm gonna be honest like it yeah. felt like it's like oh look at that's funny right like you're laughing are you laughing now are you still laughing yeah. <laughs> i was like N -n -n we got it we got it it's, it's, it, it could have joke. ended on like a hopeful <laughs> note it could have ended on some sort of like you know barry having a, a good moment but it ends with him you know uh not caring that ben affleck is not there anymore and then his tooth falling out 
So I just, I thought that was so strange. The fact that nobody cares when a character has been changed is so strange to me. Like, like we sort of played this up at the beginning of this episode, but if you had changed into a different Morgan Glennon. Yeah. And you were, you looked different. Maybe you still went, went by the name of Morgan Glennon, but you looked different and you maybe had a different life circumstance or something. Maybe I was George Clooney. Maybe you were George Clooney. (laughs) I would be like, well, I miss the other Morgan that I had actually gotten to know and spend time with. The characters never have those moments. Yeah. Where, where they connected to this one version of Bruce Wayne, but I guess since he's Bruce Wayne, he's that's just who Bruce Wayne is now. It's weird. I think it's so weird. It's a little weird. I feel like before we, I don't know if we're like close to wrapping up our discussion, but one thing I kind of wanted to talk about is, uh, now that it's been through the weekend and it's, you know, it's we're recording this on Tuesday and the box office has come out. I think it's pretty fair to say it didn't perform the way maybe they hoped it would. It's it's underperforming. It's underperforming. Like, what is your why do you think that is? Because I've seen a lot of like speculation, people kind of talking about like why they think maybe the flash is underperformed. And some of the the ones that I've seen that made a lot of sense to me was like superhero fatigue. First of all, like this isn't the first superhero movie that's underperformed. Black Adam didn't do well. Shazam didn't do well. The Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad didn't well, do I great. Didn't, I don't Although, even I think see, it didn't even get a theatrical release. Yeah, I feel yeah. like anything in the 2020 bucket like that, who knows? Who knows what how it would have done if I it think- had a full theatrical release. I feel like you know, she was, uh, Wonder Woman probably would have done quite well initially, at least. And e- even the Pattinson movie, the Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Movie, even that, I think, underperformed because they were for sure. They thought that was going to make a billion dollars and it didn't. I think it did. It did. It did pretty well. It and- did OK, but I don't think it made as much as they wanted it to. Yeah, it, it didn't like it didn't substantially underperform where like headlines were like, oh, um, but like, you know, so the, the Pattinson movie did pretty well. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse has done, uh, or Across the Spider-Verse has done incredibly well. So it's not all superhero movies. Uh, oh, Ant-Man Quantumania didn't do very well on the Marvel side. I think Guardians did do pretty well. So we're, I feel like we're starting to move into this uh this new reality of superhero movies where like it used to be that like you just put a superhero movie out in theaters and it printed money. And I feel like we're getting to a point where that's not the case anymore. And uh, the studios are like confused. It's like, what, it has to be good as well. Um, yes, of course it always had to be good. Uh, so I think it's a little bit of superhero fatigue. And then I don't think that they did themselves. Obviously the Ezra Miller of it all uh, just like having your main star, be like a kidnapper or whatever whatever crazy thing Ezra Miller has done recently you know is whether it's starting a cult or kidnapping a child or whatever um Ezra Miller's kind of not a doesn't seem like a great person uh and sort of problematic so that's not going to help because now you can't get your main your your star is usually your draw you can't send Ezra Miller out anywhere he can't do interviews Ezra Miller cannot do interviews. They cannot be on the screen. Uh, so that's going to not help. And then I think the, like, the last thing is like the, like the, the James Gunn of it all kind of loomed above this movie, which is that like this movie, if, if it wasn't for Supergirl, I got to be honest, I don't think I would have gone to see this movie because ultimately it's like not going to matter in a, in like a year or two once they re, once they reboot the, um, the movie universe. 
So I feel like, yeah, announcing all the James Gunn slates of movies and, and like, you kind of knew that this wasn't part of that universe. And so I don't know. Yeah. I feel like this, this movie did have quite a few things working against it. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause I almost put that question in the Google doc and then I got rid of it. But, uh, but it's funny that you wanted to talk about that too. <laughs> um, I think superhero fatigue has definitely been setting in. I think that is 100% something that I think it's not all superhero movies, but I think it's most of them. The thing that I think works for like the into the spider verse and the across the spider verse is the goodwill that has been accumulated uh, by the fans for those movies. Cause the movies are good and they also uh, value the, the material. And I think there's a lot of goodwill that has been built up for those movies. The thing I, I think Ezra Miller could be a problem. Cause like you said, like he can't go on talk shows. He can't go on radio interviews. He can't do mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff where you would normally lean on those kinds of things in order to promote your movie. Um, uh, and instead they did weird things with the promotion. Like some of the stuff they did on social media with Supergirl, I thought was really strange. I'm going to be honest. They had a lot of like, uh, videos and reels of like a me, like meme, like meme kind of. Videos. Yeah. And it, and it was like Sasha Kaje Supergirl and like the text on them was like Spanish or something. And I, I couldn't read it. I didn't know what it said. Uh, I, I thought it was a strange way to promote Supergirl. Um, so there was a lot of odd choices that went into the marketing uh, for it, which I guess, you know, God bless them. They, it was probably a lot to try to sell this movie. Being on that PR team must not have been fun. Yeah. So they, they I think they tried their best. Um, I'm with Rachel in that the general audience, like the Joe's, the Joe Smiths of the world, they probably don't know that Ezra Miller has done a lot of weird stuff. Most people probably do. Uh, I was going to say, I think, I think the thing is like, there's probably a mix of people who've never heard Ezra Miller doing anything problematic. And then the people who are very aware of it. And yeah. then I think there's like a lot of people in between because it was like, it was news. And I think a lot of like the entertainment news and a lot of like, even the, you know, regular news was talking about like, well, what are they going to do with the flash movie? You can't bring Ezra Miller out. So I think just from that perspective, people probably, I, I bet a lot of people could not tell you the specifics of what Ezra Miller did, but they know that Ezra Bill Miller did something not great. Yeah, he definitely did like threaten people on his Instagram account at some point. There was a um, kidnapping for sure involved yeah, <laughs> at yeah. some point. Um, which sucks because I do like his Barry. I, I do like his Flash, but it sucks when, you know, he's, he's had all these problems. My thing and I think that probably a lot of people don't talk about this, but because I come from this uh, Snyder fandom um, is that I think the studio has totally misunderstood who their audience is. I think they thought, and what I mean by that is that I think when they dismissed the Zack Snyder films and they wanted to get away from that and they did a lot in this film to both have nostalgia for that universe with the Wonder Woman and Ben Affleck stuff. And then at the same time, trash it by killing Henry Cavill Superman as a baby. It's so funny. The Wonder Woman cameo, especially when she comes on the screen, 
that's a great moment. And it's a great moment because you've, or at least for me, I got attached to her Wonder Woman. Oh, um, yeah. And so that's a great moment when she shows up. I got and, hyped just hearing the, like, the music. Like, yeah. The, uh, the Wonder Woman music. Yeah. Like, that gets me hyped. I was like, do 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 And so, uh, so I think what the, what the studio, I think, in my opinion, what they don't understand is that they thought that the the Zack Snyder fans were this terrible, toxic fandom, these terrible people. Um, they thought that that was a small minority of people. And they thought that that was a different audience than the DC fans. They thought there was the Zack Snyder people who just came to watch Zack Snyder films. And then they thought, oh, no. Oh, what is that? Is that Beaker? It's Beaker. Um, yeah. So just there's just a little situation going on behind me. So Beaker is now on top of the, the China cabinet. I don't know. I'm a little concerned because I'm not sure what he's planning. Um, he just like wants to be in a high place. He's just he, looking around for a yeah, higher place. Oh, what is he, is he what looking is he, at the uh, what chandelier? Is what is he looking at? That's my concern. Beaker, buddy, come here. Come here. Get down. There's, there's no higher place in the, in the house. Come here. No, no need to go any higher. Like that light fixture. Come on. All right. Well, he's, <laughs> he's unwilling to move. He's going uh, to so jump on that light. We're just, just gonna hope. We're just gonna we're gonna hope for the best. Um, he's Beaker, he's looking. He's trying watch to find in the background, um, and we're just gonna hope that it doesn't go. It doesn't go in a bad direction. Where are you going, bud? There's nothing over there. Okay, nothing up there either. Okay, yeah, he's well, trying. He's trying to find a. a I'm in danger. Herb. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think uh, something could go awry. We'll we'll have to see what happens. I I, I Berry in the chat says no beaker. It's not worth it. <laughs> don't don't do it. You don't have to jump. Um, yeah. So anyway, I guess my rant cut short is that they had banked on the fact that Zack Snyder fans they didn't need them anymore, and what they misunderstood was that. Uh, most of those Zack Snyder fans are also huge DC fans. And so when you like, for like me, I've, I know a lot of Zack Snyder fans uh, of fans of the DCEU and they are big and entrenched in the DC universe. And so when you tick off those people, that's, that's a problem. And when I, when I talked about the, the goodwill with the, across the uh, spider verse and the into the spider verse stuff, there is no goodwill left for those fans of that, universe of films because they have killed all of the goodwill i mean absolutely eviscerated all of the goodwill that people had for the studio and so there are people like me who are like okay if you're going to treat people like that if you're going to treat henry cavill like that if you're going to treat Zack snyder like that if you're going to treat ray fisher like that if you're going to ignore uh gal gadot's hr uh, uh, submissions uh, because she w- had a real tough problem with Joss Whedon. If you're going to ignore all that stuff, maybe I'm not going to go see your movies anymore. I didn't go see the Batman. I didn't go see the Suicide Squad. I didn't go see Black Adam. I just kind of the only movies I've seen recently were uh, League of Super Pets and uh, the Flash movie because we were going to talk about them for Supergirl Radio. So League all of Super of- Pets was great. It it was great. A Lulu, <laughs> a real standout. Lulu, Lulu forever. <laughs> but that goodwill is gone. I will not see any other movie that doesn't have to do with Supergirl uh, because of the way that they treated all those people. 
And so I think they have misunderstood their audience. And so I think now they're like surprised, like, oh, no, why are people not going to see our movies? If you go back to like looking at Man of Steel and BBS and Wonder Woman, Suicide Squad and and all those movies, it had built an audience. It was gain, like gaining traction and it was building an audience. And then it just got the rug got ripped out from under it. So I think people are just tired. I think people are tired of the the, de- the way that Warner Brothers is handling. So that's, for me, that's one of the major problems that has happened. Um, but I think it's mostly superhero fatigue. And I think it also was a bad time. Like they shouldn't have released it so close to Across the Spider-Verse um, and some of these other movies that have come out. They should have maybe, they should have released it on like Mother's Day. Yeah. Instead I mean- of like Father's Day weekend. It, it's it bad is, timing. It is tough that it came out right after, like right after Across the Spider-Verse, which is such a beautiful movie, such a well-made movie, um, has such a high, like, critical score of people who went to see it and love it, and also, like, explicitly deals with the idea of a multiverse. So, like, unfortunately, I don't know that they could have, um, they could have done anything about this timing, but, like, you go see across the spider verse and then a couple weeks later you go see this one it's not going to do well by comparison it's just not it's yeah. unfortunate like but that that is the case and you know i feel like again this movie was kind of cursed it was like you know so many cooks in this kitchen of this movie for so long uh they couldn't at some point it was just like too much money that they had sunk into it to like just give up on it I see that Beaker has also given up on the China cabinet. We've, we've a, avoided a catastrophe. Beaker, Uh-oh, he's, he's hey, still buddy. around now. <laughs> not on, not on top of that either. Okay, why don't you come over here? Why don't you come say hi to your audience? No, he does, he does love being in front of the camera. He he's does. Just he sit does there, love the camera. Hey, buddy, look at look at the cameras right there. No, nothing, nothing. He's uninterested. He he just he's he's like I don't want to talk about the Flash anymore. I just I just want to jump. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's it's so funny just because like Warner Brothers like craps all over a certain group of fans, and then they're surprised when those fans don't want to go see their movies. Yeah, I do. I do feel like there is a little bit of that in it, in it where like those fans of the the previous universe, like why would they come see this, right? And the fans uh, or the people who are interested in seeing what the new universe will be. Why would they come see this movie? It's not right. of, like this movie is kind of like uh, part of no, it's like an orphan. It's just like floating out there in space. It's like not really that it's attached to the old guard, but not that much. And it's not attached to the new. And I thought that the point of this movie was supposed to be like to set up the idea of the new universe. And really all it did was set up the idea of a multiverse. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Zack Snyder fans are the ones that would actually go to a theater to watch a movie because we we like an auteur filmmakers and we'll go to the cinema. Um, so I think they really just, it, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you you killed my favorite Superman as a baby. <laughs> you, you, want, you think I'm going to go see this multiple times? In order to make that billion dollars, you have to have people see the movie over and over and over and over and over again. I don't want to, I don't want to do it. And what you need is like good word of mouth, right? So like yeah. a superhero movie is always going to open pretty decently, but like, I think what we're about to see with the flash is going to be like a, a strong drop off in like 
this weekend coming up the next couple weekends it's like i don't think it's going to hit their projection numbers because people go and see it and a lot of people were like yeah that's all right which is kind of like my reaction to see the movie was yeah all right yeah it was okay but you're I, probably not going to see it again no 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 i wouldn't see it again uh it didn't change my life uh like i expected it to um and i feel sad about that um i just saw in the chat uh emerson asks is the cat depressed and i want to say yeah b- Supergirl is Beaker's favorite character. And so it yeah. was a little hard to see her killed so many times for Beaker. He's processing that. He's still uh, working through it. He's yeah. processing that grief and he's working through it by jumping on every uh, surface in my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess let's uh, close out the discussion because we've got a, a big uh, listener feedback email to check out. Um, but I guess closing thoughts. Um, the, what do you think about the, the Flash movie? Just overall thoughts. Uh, it was I. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's a That's a, a good way to end on. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it was, it was fine. Like we came out of that movie. I think I turned to you and I was like, that was fine. That was fine. Uh, I had a good time when I was in the movie watching it. Um, I began to forget the movie. Like as soon as we were away from the theater, uh, I was now mostly thinking about dinner, like what we were going to eat and like what dumplings and like, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's not one, it's not one that's going to like stick with me, uh, or one that I would like want to go see again and again, or one that I'm like going to yell at all my friends that they have to go see it. Like, uh, across the spider verse. It was just, it was a fun movie. It's a good time. Um, but I don't think it was like changing the very shape of cinema. I think there were parts of it that were really well made and um, uh, had some good standout moments, but yeah, it's, it's just a superhero movie kind of run of the mill. Um, The biggest change to it was like the multiverse aspect, which I hate to say it, but like I saw it on the Arrowverse, and the Arrowverse may have done it a little better. Um, uh, So I, I, I hate to compare it to that, but they're so close in storytelling and plot points and visuals that it's it's really hard not to compare them. Um, I think Ezra Miller, despite all of his flaws as a human being, is a good actor. Um, I th- I thought he gave a pretty good performance. I was kind of so-so on Sasha Kaji's Supergirl, but to be fair, she didn't really have a lot to do. Um, even though I thought part of her performance was kind of one note. She had like two, she had two notes. She had the, I'm going to talk like a real serious person and I'm, I'm going to be really serious. And then she just yelled. And that was kind of the two, <laughs> that was the ranges of her performance. Um, but that's how the character was written. So I don't know if she could have done anything else uh, besides that. So I was disappointed on a Supergirl level. Um, I was disappointed with the way that I thought that they had handled the DCEU stuff, uh, the Zack Snyder stuff. I thought a lot of that was super disrespectful for a filmmaker to come in and trash another another filmmaker's work. Um, I would not have done that personally as a creative person. I I think that's kind of the lowest of the lows. Um but there were some good moments in it. And uh, I think some of those, you know, when there are good things, I think we should talk about them. Um, so, yeah, I think if you're a fan of DC stuff, go check it out. It's um, it, it does some things pretty well in terms of the DC uh, mythology and Barry Allen's mythology and The Flash. Uh, so... I think there are some good things that it, uh, some, some good things about the film. Uh, but I was not overly thrilled with it. I did not think it was the the greatest movie ever made. I don't <sighs> think, I don't think there was another, 
uh, a new bar that's been set for cinema uh, for this movie. We had been hyped up so high from from uh, Jaden Smith and from Stephen King and from Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise loved it. Tom I mean, Cruise. That says so much. Goodness. <laughs> oh, my Zeno. Um, I, 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 realize, <laughs> I realize we didn't talk much about Michael Keaton's Batman, and I don't want to, like, keep going into a discussion. I did really like seeing him, though. I just wanted to put that out there, like – he, it was very nostalgic for me. I, I saw all those Batman movies when I was a kid. Some of them traumatized me and I had to be taken out of the theater. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I really, I mean, I thought he did a great job. And I, I, I liked seeing Michael Keaton back in like the Batman suit. Like, was it pandering? Yeah. Can I be pandered to? Sure can. So yeah, it was nice seeing Michael Keaton back. I mean, I felt the same way as Michael Keaton when I was growing up. Uh, I had a, <laughs> I I was a complicated uh, little girl. I had a pink wall on my bedroom. I had a pink room, and then I had a Batman poster, Michael Keaton Batman poster, with him standing in costume next to the Batmobile. So nice. I was a very layered little girl. I had a <laughs> lot of I had a lot of layers to my personality. Um, so so I have an affection for Michael Keaton's Batman as well. Um, but I also found a great bit of nostalgia for for Ben Affleck's Batman and for Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman uh, and getting to see them together. I thought the the scene at the beginning where they all kind of work the Justice League kind of works together to um, uh, stop those bad guys and save save the people in the hospital. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great use of the Justice League, and uh, I'm sad that we're not going to get that anymore. So uh, some good moments, but overall kind of disappointed and a little melancholy. But I did get to see it with some fun people. It was, um, we so we had was, a good time. It was a good weekend oh, anyway. So I got, to, I got to eat some popcorn. That's always our, a good time. Our life didn't, cha- didn't change, but I did take uh, Rebecca on like an East Coast food tour uh, where we ate more than I when – we, when we got home that night, I said, I don't want to eat anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we had some fun brunch. We took her out for some good Italian. We got pizza. We had to get some, eat, like, some East Coast pizza. We went to one of the oldest pizza – continuously running pizzerias in the, in the States, and we also took – you for Chinese food and uh, introduce you to a very Cara Danvers food, which is pot stickers. I had never had pot stickers before, so now I know what they're talking about. Uh, yeah, so all all restaurants were, uh, you know, hitting it out of the park. I think Lingonberry asks an important question, Rebecca, which is how were the soup dumplings? They were great. I was surprised. <laughs> I d- I didn't know how to eat them, and so Morgan and Mike taught me how to eat soup dumplings and. Uh, I'll, I'll try them again in the future if if they're offered to me at, at some restaurant that I go to because I was surprised that they were good. Yeah, soup dumplings, A plus. So, uh, you know, the the movie did it change our lives? No, but we ate a lot of food that weekend, and we'll always have all that food. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good time, and it sort of made up for it. All right, well, uh, Morgan, I think we need to get to some feedback because we got some good feedback about uh, the Flash movie. So uh, if everything is okay with Beaker. Oh, sure. It's, uh, sure. I, th- I think it's okay. Beaker, buddy, you want to get off? You want to get off the pantry? No, he doesn't. He, he said no. He doesn't. I'm just going to, I'm just going to occasionally like just keep an eye, but I think he's okay. He's just kind of looking at things. So <laughs> he's just, uh, he's just getting be bored. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to uh, Sam's email about the Flash movie. 
So Sam wrote in to share some thoughts about the Flash movie, writing, uh, last time I listened to your podcast, it sounded like neither of you were very familiar with either the Flashpoint Paradox comic or animated movie. Uh, personally, I thought they were both quite enjoyable, and the Flashpoint Paradox animated movie is probably in my top five DC animated movies that have come out over the last couple of decades. Um, I will be honest, this is uh, editorializing. Yes, I have not watched that movie. I'm not, I'm not familiar with that movie. I have, so I don't know where Sam got the impression that I had not seen it. Uh, oh, is there a I, bigger I, situation? I might need to just, maybe you read the next paragraph and I okay, will be yeah. back in one moment. <laughs> I, I will keep going. I'm going to take Morgan out. And when she is ready to jump back in after the lab cat emergency, uh, but I will uh, continue on. So uh, Sam, it sounds like Morgan has not seen the Flashpoint Paradox animated movie, but I have, and I recommend it. I think it's good. I think it's actually on Max as it's called now. So if you haven't seen it, uh, definitely go check it out because it's a pretty good movie. Uh, Sam goes on to say the basic premise of Flashpoint and Ezra's Flash movies that Barry Allen goes back in time and prevents his mother's murder. This causes a rupture in time, resulting in an alternate timeline to the one Barry Allen remembers. A much worse timeline where things go from bad to worse for everybody in the world. Sam goes on to say in the Flashpoint timeline, Bruce Wayne is killed as a child and then in the alley and his father Thomas Wayne becomes Batman whilst his mother Martha Wayne goes mad with grief and turns into the Joker. Meanwhile, instead of Superman's rocket landing in Kansas and being found by Tom, uh, Thomas and Martha Kent, I think he means Jonathan and Martha Kent. Maybe it's Thomas in the Flash uh, Flashpoint story. Uh, it crashes in Metropolis, causing a fair amount of collateral damage. Then the U.S. government finds baby Kal-El and locks him up on, uh, underground for his entire life. Kept out of sunlight, growing up means that Kal-El never develops powers and is unable to escape from the U.S. government facility. The new Flash movie takes the basic premise of Batman and Superman from Flashpoint Flashpoint and puts its own spin on it. Instead of Kal-El being locked up underground in a U.S. government facility, it is Kara and the facility is Russian. I don't know why it couldn't have been the U.S. government, but whatever. Instead of Thomas Wayne becoming uh, Batman, the Flash movie replaces Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne slash Batman with an alternate reality Michael Keaton, Bruce Wayne Batman. Um, so I think I do know why that the facility is Russian, uh, in the Flash movie, uh, in the movie they reference Siberia, which this this may this may be a stress uh, stretch, and I don't know if this is the film's intention, but Siberia actually plays into uh, Supergirl's mythology, uh, especially since it's used where Supergirl is kept in the Flash movie. So it might be a tie-in to the character's overall mythology because at the end of Supergirl season three on the CW, uh, black smoke from the Harrenel when used by Supergirl, Sam and Rain floats over to the Siberian border. Uh, Siberia is also connected to how Kara is introduced in the New 52 uh, in the last Daughter of Krypton uh, trade paperback, uh, which we have, we all have, we have episodes of Supergirl radio on if you want to check that out. But I think Siberia if they chose it intentionally, might be because Siberia is connected to uh, Supergirl's mythology. Uh, Morgan, would you like me to continue uh, going? Since oh, I can, I can, <laughs> I can hop back in. Uh, is it? Should I start with? I don't. Yeah, I don't have a problem with any okay. of this. Uh, okay. Uh, Beaker is safe, and I'm going to get back into the email. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't have a problem with any of this. I've already accepted that there is a multiver 
multiverse where different versions of each hero can exist with different faces. Don't forget the CW Crisis on Infinite Earths event had three Clark Kent Supermans with different faces, Tom Welling, Brandon Roth, and Tyler uh, Hecklin. The CW version even depicted two entirely different characters from different universes with the same face uh, in Brandon (laughs) Roth's Ray Palmer, Adam, and Clark Kent Superman. Um, The way I interpret the premise of this story is that if you F with the timeline, it's like pulling the lever on a slot machine where one of the spinning symbols promises to give you a Batman of some description, but there's no guarantee which face the machine will stop on. (laughs) I I like the idea of like, I feel like that's like what what Warner Brothers does. They just like pull the slot machine to see like what Batman is going to be in any specific thing at any specific time. They're like, we need a Batman, but what? But which one? <laughs> uh, Sam says the way I uh, do, 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 do uh, I'd say my biggest problem with the movie is that it never really explores the alternate timeline except through the very narrow prism of Barry's interactions with his younger self. Also, to a lesser degree, through his interactions with Bruce and Kara. It's a deeply personal story for Barry, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the bigger picture of the world at large never really feels fleshed out. The movie has some big action set pieces, but they feel like sideshows to the main story. It feels like Zod and the other Kryptonians are just there for the sake of a big fight scene. Uh, Sam goes on to say, I never felt any real stakes or urgency in this movie. Zod shows up and then seems to disappear into the background for nearly an hour. I think it would have been better if Barry saw the date and realized that Zod's arrival was a week or at least a few days away. Uh, That would have given Barry time to prepare for Zod's arrival and create a greater sense of urgency, in my opinion. Uh, Flashpoint was always Barry's story, but the animated movie and the comic book series took the time to show what other characters in the altered timeline were experiencing. It helped illustrate the dire state the world was in and why it was necessary for Barry to rectify his mistake in saving his mother. Personally, I'm not a fan of the idea that the whole world goes to you-know-what because a character goes back in time and saves their mother. However, if that's the story you're telling, then make me feel the world is going to (laughs) you-know-what. All my complaining may make it sound like I didn't want the the movie to be about Barry's personal story. That's not the case at all. Barry's story is the heart of the movie and should definitely have been the primary focus. Grant Gustin's Flashpoint was all about the small scale and the personal. This movie could still have had that, but also exhibited the kind of scope that is not possible with the TV show. Uh, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on Sasha Callier's uh, car. Kajay. Kajay. Oh, my God. Why can't I ever get this? (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, uh, Karina Barana. Uh, Ga- oh, Carmina, Carmina. Carmina. Oh my God! How is he back up there? Never mind. Now it's care. both of them. I don't care. I don't care anymore. I don't care. He wants the, <laughs> he wants the Batman on top of that thing. He can do what he wants. Uh, he's broke my will. He's broken my will. <laughs> he's he's drawn Bunsen in there now with his shenanigans. Oh my God, Bunsen, not you too. <laughs> Beaker, Beaker. Oh, you're just gonna look right at me. That's fine. He's, he, he's he's loving life up there it's fine <laughs> we'll just ignore him we'll just ignore him for now. <clears throat> back to sam's email uh <laughs> uh sam says i'll be interested to hear your thoughts on sasha Kal- Kal- kajay's 
<sighs> it, it doesn't look like how it's pronounced. I don't know how I can't get this. There's like <laughs> just a couple of names I can just never get. Apparently, this is one of them. Uh, Kara Supergirl. Some reviewers think she was fantastic, the character and the performance, while others were underwhelmed and thought she was barely in the movie. I would have liked to see her character fleshed out a bit more with a few more interactions, but I think the arc of her character made sense. She was angry and resentful towards the humans who had imprisoned, possibly tortured her, but ultimately had enough life experience to realize that you can't judge an entire race slash species by their worst individuals. She clearly had some idea what sort of person Zod was and therefore couldn't claim the high ground that Kryptonians were inherently a morally superior species to humanity. I just want to uh, chime in for a second that uh, in the Snyderverse, and maybe this changes with the, the time traveling, but the reason that Zod is the way he is is because he's basically been programmed to be that way. He's programmed to be a warrior and protector of Krypton. And so he really can't go outside of that. And so that's why he's so violent and over the top is because that's just the way he was kind of, for the lack of better terms, like bred to be. Superman in that universe is the only one who has a natural birth, who has the ability to have a free will and can make choices for himself. The other Kryptonians really don't. Um, so that is kind of why Zod is the way he is. And so that's not really mentioned. It's probably too complicated for them to address that with Sasha Kajay's Supergirl. But for her to sort of dis dismiss those people without recognizing that that's probably how they were bred to be i can see why they would overlook that and kind of gloss over it but i just wanted to to mention that uh so sam goes on to say uh most of what i've had to say has been uh complaints criticism uh but i did enjoy the movie for the most part i thought ezra miller's performance was good and i liked the way the two berries played off of each other i liked sasha Kaj kajay's I liked Sasha Kaj's Kara. I liked both Ben Affleck's and Michael Keaton's uh, Bruce Wayne Batman's. I could take or leave George Clooney's Bruce, only in the sense that there wasn't enough of him in the movie for me to like or dislike. I'm not angry about it, although I suppose some Zack Snyder fans might see it as a slap in, uh, to the face for Ben Affleck's Batman. The way I see it is this movie clearly establishes a multiverse exists, which means that Zack Snyder's DC Universe is out there somewhere, as is Ben Affleck's Batman. This new altered timeline with George Clooney as, ba as Bruce may no longer be Zack's universe, but I'm sure that universe is still out there somewhere in the multiverse. I wish they had just shown that. It would have been nice to just get like a little bit like during that like multiverse, you know, situation where you're seeing all the different worlds. That would have made me feel better. Um, Zach, uh, Zach, uh, Sam goes on to say, given how big a Zack Snyder fan you are, Rebecca, I'll be curious on how much of an affront to Zack Snyder's work you find this movie to be. I'm not as big a Snyder fan as you, although I did like all his DC movies with Man of Steel being my favorite. I think a lot of criticism directed his way is unjustified and it often bugs me when Steve Jonas, I think, yeah, I think Jonas. Uh, okay, Eunice and Michael Bailey from the Superman homepage take little swipes at him for engaging with his fans, as if Zach is to blame for the bad behavior of some of his fans. I'm sorry to hear that maybe they do that. I know uh, Michael and Steve uh, uh, personally. Uh, I think they're both great guys. They have their own opinions about these things. Um, uh, but I, I do kind of wonder why somebody would take swipes, uh, you know, no disrespect to them, but... If for a director to engage with his fans, I don't think is a problem. As someone who has actually had a personal and very public interaction with Zack Snyder <laughs> uh, at the uh, Full Circle event when I did a uh, like a 
a, a commentary uh, with him on Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice and had a conversation with him and met him um, and got to interview him. Um, he's a cool guy. He's a really nice guy. He went at that full circle event. He went to go get popcorn at the movie theater at the, at the IMAX showing, uh, for Zack Snyder's justice league. And he talked to all like the high school employees who were working the concession stand. He's a really cool guy. And I don't know why people badmouth him all the time. Um, yes, there are bad fans in every fandom, but most of the Snyder fans I know, and I know a lot of them, they're just people who really love films, um, and love storytelling and love visuals. And so I think that it's kind of weird for people to say like, he's, he's bad for engaging with his fans. I think that's why his fans, I, I can only speak for myself. That's why I, as a fan, partially like Zack Snyder is he actually does engage with his fans and he, um, interacts with us in a lot of ways by either social media stuff or having these big events where he raises money and we get to be a part of that. So anyway, uh, I did think that there were a lot of uh, things that I found disrespectful about the way the flash movie handled a lot of his work. I just think it's kind of a, a crash. I think it's a little trashy uh, to be honest. I think it's a trashy thing to do to take somebody else's work and then make it worse intentionally. And I don't like that. Um, so, but Zack Snyder would probably be like, Hey, I thought it was a cool movie. Cause he's a cool guy like that. Um, he actually said in an interview that he had, uh, communicated with Ezra and that he was excited to see the flash movie. So he'll probably see it. And he probably will say nice things about it. Cause he's a guy who supports other creators work. It's just unfortunate that other creators don't, um, uh, have a respect for his work. So I guess that's all I'll say about that. But uh, I, uh, I did have problems with some of the way it, uh, that it did handle some of the Snyderverse stuff. So uh, Sam goes on to say, anyway, I'll just say that I didn't feel like anything in this movie was taking shots at Zack Snyder or his DC cinematic work. If anything, I feel like this movie was trying to say that everything counts. Every version of Superman, past possible, f- present and future is canon. Hence the various cameos towards the end of the movie. Um, personally, I think the choice of cameos was a mistake. Uh, the various <laughs> alternate reality heroes should have been alternate flashes, not alternate supermans. We had one alternate flash and a bunch of alternate supermans with no cohes- coherent reason why uh, some incarnation showed up and others and not others. There was no Brandon Routh, Henry Cavill, Dean Kane, or Tom Welling that I could see. If you're going to show a bunch of past Superman incarnations in the multiverse, you should show all of them. Maybe not if there were thousands, but 10 or so should be manageable. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because that's what I liked about the Arrowverse Crisis event is that it paid homage to everybody. It talked about uh, the Batman 66. It had the characters from the Birds of Prey TV show that I know we both like. Um, <laughs> it it uh, kind of uh, di- uh, di- dove into Superman Returns a little bit. It had Smallville stuff. And it even had Ezra Miller in there for the DCEU. So it, it, it got everybody in there and it made everybody feel like they were all connected. It even like connected the Titans and the star girl stuff and all of that. Um, so uh, I think, I think that did a better job of crisis just because it made it feel like no matter what you were a fan of, you were part of like DC fandom. And that made me feel better about it. This one in the flash movie, it felt like there were some that you could like, and then there were some, maybe you couldn't, you weren't allowed to like anymore. Um, and I, I didn't quite like that. And I also think Brandon Routh maybe should have been there if it was about, yeah. if it was about cinematic portrayals of DC characters, 
he was on the big screen. Yeah, so, poor Brandon Routh. I feel like Brandon Routh has gotten the short end of the Superman stick uh, a lot, and and I I really like him. So I feel like he could have he could have popped up in there. But again, it it does it beg the question: Why so many Supermans in a Flash movie? Yeah, it's a really great uh, question that uh, nobody I, I haven't really seen a great answer for yet. <laughs> uh, but I guess that's uh, going to do it for our. So actually, I think we had one snap judgment that we could get to oh, real okay. quick uh, that we starred at the. Uh, top in uh so let's get to uh, a snap judgment and then we'll wrap it up in the game of snap judgments each person is presented with two options but must only choose one first instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary okay so our snap judgment is from rachel who asks who is worse in time in terms of time travel and making changes to the timeline cw barry or movie Barry? I'm going to go movie Barry. At least C.W. Barry, eventually he realized, maybe I've got to stop. Now, there were some other characters on the C.W. Flash who did it, and Barry had no control over it. Like, his daughter would come in from the future, and she, she would do <laughs> stuff. Um, but I think he eventually learned that lesson. Now, granted, this was over seasons of a television show. But movie Barry, especially that younger Barry, he just, it did not sink in his mind it was not getting through it was not getting through that he was doing the wrong thing um so i'm gonna say especially young movie berry yeah i'm gonna go with movie berry as being worse as well i think when you become like a giant metal creature (laughs) like things have things have gone like you need to take a step back and you need to start working on you you know like you the (laughs) giant metal creature now (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and uh, i think once you become a villain it's like yeah you're probably worse than than the CW version, even though they, you know, maybe uh, erased a baby or two. Yeah, uh, the CW just changed a baby. Yeah, you just know. changed people's families. Again, <laughs> nobody seemed to care. Nobody seemed Whoops. to mourn that loss, uh, which is such a strange choice. Uh, but yeah, movie mo- young movie Barry was uh, out of control. And uh, he could not be stopped except by himself. He did himself <laughs> in. Uh, so there's that. So I guess uh, that's going to take us out of Snap Judgments. No judgments on your Snap Judgments. Okay, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio. So before uh, we end this here, we need to get to some Supergirl Radio and some DC TV podcast plugs. If you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Podchaser, and Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured on and inspired by the CW Supergirl TV series. We are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. If you like what we do, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy our Supergirl radio live streams, make sure to subscribe to the DC TV Podcast YouTube channel and hit that notification bell to get notified when we go live and wired dc tv podcast also has a t public store so if you're in need of new dc tv related t-shirts tank tops sweatshirts onesies mugs notebooks pillows or stickers go to supergirlradio.com and click on the t public store link 
at the top of the page. Hello, and thank you for calling the DC TV Podcast Hotline. Please listen carefully as some of our menu options have changed. Supergirl Radio? Press 1. The Flash Podcast? Press 2. Legends of Tomorrow Podcast? Press 3. The Lithuation Room? Press 4. DC on HBO Max Podcast? Press 5. Stargirl Podcast? Press 6. Superman and Lois Radio? Press 7. Green Lantern Podcast? Press 8. The Sandman Podcast? Press 9. Justice League Dark Podcast? Press 10. DC After Dark? Press 11. For all other inquiries, please stay on the line and the next available agent will be with you shortly. We've got to redo the plugs because I just oh, noticed yeah, uh, D- DC on HBO Max. Oh, uh, Max. And now it's just Max. It's just Max. Easy on Max. Uh, DC to the max. That's, that's <laughs> free. You can use that. <laughs> uh, and since this episode was about the Flash, we have some Flash-related designs in the DC TV podcast T Public Store that we'd like to suggest. Yeah, we've got a oh, look ahead, Flash. We we've got a lot of Jay Garrick designs in the DC TV podcast T Public Store, and uh, we've got a design that says, "Hey, Barry, stop messing with the timeline." which is always a good message to send to Barry Allen. Uh, so uh, we have a lot of flash designs in there as well as Supergirl uh, uh, merch. If you are interested in getting some new stuff, cause we're kind of uh we're nearing convention season. Like it's yeah, kind of coming up on its way. I, I, I think, I feel like uh, San Diego comic con is probably close by. It is. Dragon con is uh, creeping up on me, uh, which is great. I'm completely unprepared for it, but that's awesome. It's a couple months away. So if you're going to a convention this summer and uh, you want to get some new stuff, this is a great way to do it. Uh, if you also want to support Supergirl radio in another way, uh, you can do that through the Supergirl radio Patreon. You can uh, go to patreon.com slash, Superhero Radio and uh, sign up to be a, um, a supporter of the podcast. These people are Michael Amory, Yvonne Quinn, Nicola, Abby, Miriam, Nicole, Brian, Ethan, Danny, and Majuba. So if you would like to become a Legion of Super Sponsor, you can go to our Super uh, Radio Patreon page and do it that way. Ah, well, if you would like to follow me on the socials and uh, other places where I am, you can find me on uh, Vero True Social, which is a platform I enjoy. Uh, you get to see what I'm uh, reading, watching, listening to over there. Uh, so I'm on Vero at Derby Kid. I'm also on Instagram at the Derby Kid. You can see some pictures that I took of the uh, grounds for sculpture uh, that Morgan and Mike uh, took me to, which is pretty cool. It's a neat place. Uh, so I took some uh, pictures there. Uh, so I have a, a little personal Instagram account that I post to occasionally. Uh, I'm also, on, I also have a personal YouTube uh, channel that I need to get back to in July. I'll have a little more time. Uh, you can uh, subscribe over there at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. I have a lot to cover. Uh, so I'll be talking about some things there. I also recently started a travel blog with my brother uh, called Oasis Broom. So we're on all the uh, social media platforms at Oasis Broom if you want to see our travels and things there. Uh, so that is kind of all the places where you can find me on the internet. Very cool. Um, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mojotastic. And you can also find me as a co-host on the Legendary Ladies podcast, previously uh, the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. But unfortunately, they canceled that show because there's nothing on the CW anymore. Uh, we have we actually talked about The Flash ourselves. Uh, and that episode will be coming out sometime next week. We also talked uh, recently about... Um, 
are the latest season of Ted Lasso and um, and across the Spider-Verse. So you can check out all of those episodes on the podcast. We are on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash uh, the legendary ladies, um, which is also our handle on uh, Instagram, the legendary ladies. And um, we're on TikTok as a legendary ladies pod. And finally, if uh, we are on Twitter at uh, just as we used to be at uh, legends underscore podcast, but we're on a new Twitter home. So just go look up at legends underscore podcast and hit the follow button. If you're previously following us and want to, want to come on over which i know you do yeah the legendary ladies podcast is excellent and everyone should subscribe and follow in all the places i'll probably redo your graphic here on the live stream just because you have a lot of uh uh <laughs> user handles that uh, yes. might might be helpful so I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to put those on uh your plug graphics so uh so maybe that'll be helpful because um, uh, want to make sure people are following and subscribing for uh, the legendary ladies. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio. But until next time, I think I'm still Rebecca Johnson. I think I think that's, <laughs> that's right. I don't think I've changed throughout this pro- podcast process. And I think I'm still Morgan Glennon. Oh, that's good. But, I'm, but I have relieved. some memories of being Rebecca Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Was Helen Slater in Super uh, in Smallville? Wait, no, no, never mind. I Actually, remember she was, but not a Supergirl. <laughs> that's right. Oh my God. The, the Morgan Glennon version of Rebecca Johnson was right. <laughs> um, but uh, until next time, I'm still, uh, I'm also still Morgan Glennon. And remember, our scars make us who we are. Don't let your tragedy define you. McGurk! I Do love not typing. Not my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you like it? It's being, becoming a human burrito, a plus or a minus. I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther, boardroom or ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this show. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Yeah.